If you would uh, pray with me and then we're going to go back into Ephesians this morning, but let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to be here to gather together as your people, to open your word, uh, to sing your praises. We thank you for the great privilege of being able to come to you in prayer directly to you. And we thank you uh, for all these things. We pray that as we open your word this morning, that your spirit would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would take the eternal truths of your word and apply them to us. We pray this morning that as we look at the glorious truth of what you say is our future, that we would just be overwhelmed with the beauty and truth of that. We pray that this time would just be well-pleasing in your sight, that we would leave here greatly encouraged uh, by what you're doing and the way that you're teaching and showing and uh, just meeting us here in your word. And we thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was thinking back to uh, a story that I heard years ago, or it's really just an illustration, it's not an actual story, but uh, kind of this idea of what we believe about our future and how it greatly influences uh, us right now in the present. And so the, the illustration kind of goes like this, that there's, there's two people that both uh, get hired on for a job that's terrible, right? Year-long contract for a really awful job, and I'll let you fill in the details whatever you think that awful job would be, right? For some people, that would be being around a lot of other people. That would be really terrible. For some people, being, being alone or working in solitary kind of confinement would be really awful or physical labor or whatever it is. You fill in the, the blanks of what would be a really awful job for you. And then you get told that you're going to be paid minimum wage for this year, right? So two people both working the same job, both getting paid minimum wage. But one of the two people kind of gets pulled to the side and they say, if you complete this year and you show up and you do a good job and you're here every day, uh, we will give you a $20 million bonus at the end of the year, right? So, so what I want you to consider is those two people, as they get up and they come to work each day, which one is going to have the better attitude, which one, when things are kind of rough during the day, are like, ah, it's not so bad, right? I can get through this. I can keep doing this versus the other one that's like, this is awful. This is terrible, right? Like it's going to influence the way that you go about that year knowing what's at the end, the promise of this or this hope that you have at the end of the year for this incredible bonus, far more than you could ever imagine. And suddenly you're going to have that. It would change the way you think about it. And the truth is, it's very powerful what we believe about our future and the way it influences us. Right? For example, if you get up on a Monday morning, you get up tomorrow morning, and you know that you've got Thursday and Friday off and you're going on vacation for a week, how is that week of work? It's different, right? You're like, yes, I've just got a few days and then I get to go do this great thing. Versus you've got a long week ahead and a lot to do and you're behind and all those things and you wake up and you go, ugh. What we believe about the future greatly influences the way we live in the present. And so we're going to go back to Ephesians 1, which we started in Ephesians. If you were here with us last week, Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, but it was meant to be a circular letter that went around to the whole of the New Testament church. It's actually the 10th book uh, in the New Testament. I believe if you're following along in your pew Bible, it's on page uh, 569 if you've got the one with the stripe on it. And then 635, if you've got the all blue or the all white Bible, if you want to turn there. And so what we looked at at the very beginning is Paul starts with this great encouragement to the church in, in Ephesus at the beginning. And what he does is he goes through this remarkable thing of who we now are in Christ. 
And we looked at the first nine or so verses last week. And what we really saw as he went through is what is true about our past and our present in Jesus. And so if we were to summarize what he said last week, he said something to this effect that we are chosen before the foundation of the world, blessed with every spiritual blessing, adopted into God's family as sons or daughters, lavished with his grace, forgiven and redeemed and are now holy and blameless. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. And so we talked about how remarkable it is about what he says is now true of us in Jesus in just those first nine verses. But if you look closely, what we came up to is what we saw is we really covered eternity past because it says uh, in love, he predestined us before the foundation of the world. So it goes all the way back to the very uh, purposes of God before he created anything. And we kind of rested in who we now are in Christ, that we are holy and blameless right now before God in Jesus because of what Christ has done. And so what we covered was really the past In the present, but what we're going to look at this morning is really verse 10 down through the end. And what we're going to start to see as we do is he begins to look at our future and what it means for us to be in Christ and what is still to come. And so as we start this morning, I want you just to consider what we believe about the future greatly influences the way we live now. And so we're going to continue on in this incredible soaring poem that Paul writes at the beginning. It's really a song, a poem at the beginning that he's singing over who we are in Christ. And so we did past and present, and we're going to kind of turn and look at the future and the hope that we have in Jesus. And so I'm, I'm almost hesitant sometimes to say the word hope Because what happens is what we talk about hope in the Bible is often not what we mean hope in our culture today. When we say hope around today in English, in our language, in our culture, we say, well, I hope that works out. And what we often mean is kind of a wishy-washy, I think it might be good and I hope it will be and I hope things come out for the better. But when the Bible talks about hope, it talks about a confident assurance in the things that are to come. It's a certainty of what's going to happen in the future because of what God has done in the present and in the past. It's going to happen. And so what we're looking at this morning is what Paul says our hope is, this confident assurance of what is going to come and what God is going to finish. And so this is the way I want us to look at it. We're going to spend most of our time in Ephesians 1, verses 10 through 14. And this is what I want us to ask as we look at that. First, what does it say about our hope or our future? What does he tell us about that future? Secondly, why is it guaranteed? Why is it a certainty? And then lastly, I want us to consider when we take those two together, what our future is and why it's guaranteed how that should affect us today. And so let's just begin with that first question about what our hope is, what our future is. I'm going to pick up in verse 7. So I'm going to go back a little bit to where we were last week and pick up and go from 7 to 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. In him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so Paul kind of rounds out this beginning section, this beginning uh introduction where he just lays out this incredible thing of who our past our present our future and what that looks like in christ and so what i want us to consider is this future that we have and before i jump in this is just kind of a side note but i want you to notice the way he's speaking and who he's speaking to we said he's talking to the church which includes us but if you look closely at verse 12 he says so that we who were first to hope in christ might be to the praise of his glory But then verse 13, he kind of turns and says, and in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So he says, we were first and then you came along. And I think part of what he's getting at here is Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles is just the way the Bible talks about all those that are not Jewish, that are not religious in the Jewish faith in this way. And so I think what Paul's saying is we first Jews. As Jesus came to the house of Israel and he preached the gospel and he showed us, we saw this first. And then he was resurrected and he sent us out and he said, go make disciples of all nations. And so now you are hearing too. And so this is an important just kind of side note to bring out because what he's going to say is now going to be true for all of us. Because sometimes we miss the cultural, uh, the immediate cultural impact of who he's talking to. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles that came from very different backgrounds that often didn't um, mix together. And he's saying it's the same gospel that you've all heard and you've all come into this together in Jesus. And I just want to point out to you, although we have a different context today, we have the same issues in our culture in that we have tons of different people that don't get along in our culture today. Whether it's different nations whether it's different political parties, whether it's different races, we still see racism, we still see these struggles, we still see all these things in our culture today. And so what he's going to say is true of us in the future is so important, but I wanted to point that out to you, that he's saying just as us and now you and now we're coming together. Because look at what he says is true for us in the future. Verse 10. He says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So he starts to turn to look to what is to come. And he says, all things are going to be united together in Christ. And that is a huge statement. And it certainly includes, as he's talking about it, is is people. All nations, all tribes, all tongues, all different races are going to come together and have a unique unity that is found in Jesus. That's why I asked Mike to read Revelation chapter seven this morning. If you were listening to that, did you hear the future and the hope that we have? Revelation is God bringing John up and he's showing him what he's going to do. This is how I'm going to finish my plan. And he shows John what he's going to do. And it says, and John looked and behold, there was a great multitude that no one could number 
from every nation and from all tribes and all people and all languages standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes with branches, palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If you're not familiar with Revelation all the way through, the Lamb is Jesus. And he sees this image of how God is going to bring every tribe, tongue, and nation. The people that we see warring today and the struggles and racism and all of it erased. And it's all because of Jesus and what he's done. And so as Paul's singing, he is soaring over who we are. And he turns and he says, and God's going to unite all things together in Jesus. All of it. And there's going to be this beautiful unity. And he says they're going to, as he goes, you go down in Revelation 9, it says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so this is a little bit of what Paul is getting at when he says, Everything is going to be united together in Christ. In him, in the fullness of time, all things in heaven and earth are going to be united together. And so if we go past and present where we are now, before the foundations, he chose us and he did this work and he's brought us to this place. We've been adopted in and it's all through what Jesus has done. And then we get to the fullness of this, this image and he says, and you're holy and blameless before him. That is true of you right now in Christ. Because of what Jesus has done for you, God sees you with Christ's righteousness. By faith, through grace, and what Jesus has done, God sees you holy and blameless. That is our justification through what Jesus has done. That big word justification means that we are holy and blameless before God because of Christ. But then we often talk about this big word glorification. Those he justified, he glorifies. Glorification is when our inward spiritual reality of who we are in Christ becomes in full. We're glorified. Glorify means to, to reflect back who God is. And so the reason that there's going to be unity of all things in Jesus is because we're going to be glorified and we're going to reflect back fully who God is in everything. That's why there'll be unity. Because we will be restored to the way that we were made to be. Fully in communion with God and with others. And in doing so, I want you to think about what that means. How incredible that promise is. Sometimes we try to put it into words because we can't quite grasp. First uh, Corinthians 15, when Paul talks about our glorified bodies. That we're going to get these new bodies and everything is going to be set right. And I've heard people say, uh, maybe it's a little bit like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. We can't even imagine what is to come. C.S. Lewis once said that if we were to be able to see our glorified selves now, what we're going to be in Christ when he glorifies us completely, we would be tempted to worship. That that's how great this is going to be and what he's talking about. That all things are going to be united and it means we're going to be glorified in this way. And it certainly means our physical selves and our bodies and us brought into it. 
I think oftentimes we get into the error of thinking, I can't wait to go to heaven. I'll be done with this body and my soul will fly, fly off to the clouds. That doesn't come from the Bible. The Bible is God is going to redeem this good creation and every part of it and you get a new and glorified body. In his perfect redeemed creation. And so oftentimes when we, we read this, we might go to the part of just us personally and I get to go to heaven and I'm with God and that will be so wonderful and it absolutely will, but it's bigger than I think we even realize. He says he's going to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It's not going to be just disembodied souls, but it's going to be a glorified body in the new heavens and the new earth. N.T. Wright in his commentary on Ephesians. He gets this so well when he talks about the new heavens and the new earth. But he says this. God, after all, is the creator who has no interest in leaving the earth to rot and making do for all eternity with only half of his original creation. God intends to flood the whole cosmos, the heaven and the earth together with the presence with his presence and grace. And when that happens, the new world that results in which Jesus himself will be the central figure is to be the inheritance for which Jesus people are longing. All things made new, all things in heaven and earth united together. And he talks about that inheritance we've obtained and that is what's coming. And this is the image that he gives us. What you believe about the future greatly influences the way you live now. And that is the future, he says, that we have in Christ. But the second question I want us to ask is, what does this text say about our assurance? And I want to go back to just what we talked a little bit about last week, because this is the most important part of that. But then there's a couple other things we're going to say. The reason it is assured is it's not in our doing, but it's in Jesus's doing. Everything we said last week that you're adopted in, that you're holy and blameless, you're a beloved child of God with all the spiritual blessings, forgiven and redeemed and all of that. Everywhere through this, he says it's in Christ. It's in Christ. It is in him. It is through him. It is what he has done. And so the reason that we're assured of this is not that we're pretty good people. We're assured of this because of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and nothing else. And it's because of Jesus that it's an assurance. That's why our hope is rock solid, a confident assurance in the future of what God has done because God has defeated sin and death in Christ. That he came and he lived the perfect life and he died the death we deserved and he rose again and he showed us that he is Lord over all. So we can be certain that he is going to finish what he started that's what Paul's getting at here. In love, he predestined you before the foundation of the world. This was always the plan. We said last week, that means that Jesus is the center of all human history. And that is absolutely rock solid true of why we can be certain. But there's two other things that I want you to see here that he says. Look at verse, uh, start in 13 with me. In him, Jesus, you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, believed in him and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so he says that the guarantee is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. 
that he gives us the down payment of the Holy Spirit now, that heaven invades earth now as the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and with you at all times. But we'll come back to that because I want you to see something else he says in verse 14. If you look closely in verse 14, if you're following along in the Pew Bible or you have an ESV, that's what I'm reading from, and I know it's in the Pew Bible, so I don't know if you don't have an ESV if it's there. But in the ESV, there's actually a footnote about what that verse says. I think it's uh, number five is what it says. It says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? But most literally what this says is, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until God redeems his possession to the praise of his glory. That's what it literally says. So what it says first there is you read it and it says until we acquire possession of it. But literally it says until God redeems his possession to the praise of his glory. It says God's the one that's going to redeem his possession. And the word for possession means treasure. And he's talking about you. And so I want you to think about the fullness of everything that Paul's saying through this. That God has had this plan before the foundation of the world in which he chose you and you're holy and blameless and redeemed and forgiven and all these things. And he's going to unite it all together and it's all going to come and it's all going to come to its fruition and its fullness when God redeems his treasured possession. And he's talking about you and me. Right. Yes, it's certain because of what Jesus has done. But I also want you to see why this is so encouraging to our assurance that God loves you so much. That he sees you as his treasured possession, that he's going to come and he's going to bring you back to the fullness that you were created for. And I want you to think about why that goes to our hope. That if God right now values you like that, that if God in the past went to infinite depths and paid an infinite price on the cross to get you, that he values you like that. He says, I am going to come and redeem my treasure. And when I meet you face to face, I am going to lavish my grace upon you. There's a thought about that. What that means There's some of Jesus' words ringing in my ears as I was thinking about that. And it's in Mark or Matthew 7 and Luke 11 where he says this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to you who ask him? That that just was overwhelming to me. And here's why. Because I'm all messed up. And I don't do any of it perfectly, but I really love my children. I really want their best in everything. And what Jesus says is if you love your kids like that, you who are evil, who are sinful and broken, and your love is imperfect, can you imagine how much your Father in Heaven loves you? Infinitely more than what I love my children. And he says here he's going to come and redeem his treasured possession to the praise of his glory. That you're going to be overwhelmed with the glory of God as he does and finishes what he says he was going to do. Whoa. If we believe that, if you believe that about your future, what that does to your present. 
it's incredibly comforting. And it's incredibly encouraging that He's going to finish that in that way, that He predestined us in love and He's going to redeem His treasure. And so it's all Jesus, and you see here how much He loves us, but notice what He says about the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to spend a real long time on this because we're going to come back and spend a lot of time on the Holy Spirit throughout this series in Ephesians. But he says, you were sealed with the promise, promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Or until God redeems his possession. And the word there literally means a down payment. The Holy Spirit is a down payment for the future glory that God's going to bring. And so as imperfect as the analogy is, but it's kind of like when you're buying a house and you put the down payment on it or you give your money and you say, no, I'm serious and I want this and I'm going to work towards it, right? I'm giving this. And so God does that with the Holy Spirit in us now. And so he gives us this glorious promise of how he's going to unite all things and he's going to bring you to this place and you're going to be holy and blameless before him. But he says, I'm going to start right now. I'm going to invade your life now in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to begin to remake you into the glory that is to come. We've been reading the Gospel of John and the men's breakfast on Wednesday morning. And we just got to the part in the upper room as Jesus turns to the disciples. And he says, it's better for you that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's hard for us to fathom, but what Jesus is saying, that we have it better than those that were standing there physically with Jesus before them now with the Holy Spirit in and through us. It's the down payment. The Spirit is the promised future coming forward to meet us in the present now to bring us home to the future that we have. Again, N.T. Wright says it so well. He says it this way. The Spirit is to the Christian in the church what the cloud and the fire were in the wilderness to Israel. The powerful personal presence of the living God, holy and not to be taken lightly, leading and guiding the often muddled and rebellious people to their inheritance. I really like that. I relate to a muddled and rebellious people being led home. The down payment of what he's going to do is he's going to unite all things together in him. And so he gives us the assurance of the Holy Spirit. And it's an absolute certainty because of what Christ has done. But there's also that part that just unites us or or ignites our hearts when we hear that you are his treasured possession that he's going to finish this. And so here's what I want you to consider. How should that affect us today? The first thing I would say to you is you dream really big for God's glory, because guess what? It's going to happen. There's nothing that you can dream up that God would be glorified because his glory is going to flood the earth that you're ultimately going to be disappointed. And so what I mean by that is go after the things that glorify God now, even if they seem out of reach. Even if they seem like there's no way we possibly could ever make that happen or do that. Because you're not going to be disappointed because when Christ returns, it's going to happen in its fullness. Years ago, when, Quint, or when Jed and Asher were about three and four years old, I painted Asher's bedroom. And they said, can we help you? Yeah. 
when three and four year olds ask you if they can help you paint, you're like, oh, I really want to spend time with you guys and I love you, but you kind of want to go, no. And that, so I was home alone with them. Please, 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 we want to help you. Okay, so you drop the whole, drop cloth the whole room and paint every, you know, tape everything up, put old t-shirts on them and gave them paintbrushes and set them to work on one little section in the corner. Said, you can paint right here. And so they had paintbrushes and there was paint all over everything and them and each other. And I rolled the entire room and I got back to that section and they had painted about four feet by four feet and they were so proud. Look at what we have done. And to their credit, two hours straight, they painted. And they got along and they enjoyed it and they kept saying and it got to the end. And I went, that is awesome. Let me just finish rolling. And so you kind of move them over, roll all around them, right over what they did. And then you get done. And you go, all right, we're done. And they went, look what we did. Right? We painted this together. And you're like, yeah, we did. That's us and all the things that we get to go after right now. God is going to finish it. And we get to be part. And as we go after it and as we paint and as we try and we do, as however broken and messed up and simple it is, we're never going to get to the end and be like, why did we waste our time on that? We're going to see the fullness of it come. And we're going to go, look at what God did. Look at He did through us. Look at what he let us be part of. And we're never going to be disappointed in that. And so dream big for what God is going to do in and through us by his spirit, because we are going to see the fullness of it come. So there's nothing to fear in that. It's going to happen. But the second thing I would say to you, and this is really hard. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. I think Jesus really means that when he says, be anxious for nothing. That's what he says. Be anxious for nothing. And I want you to think about why he can say that. Because he sees the whole picture. He sees it from the beginning to the end. And he sees exactly how he's working all those things together for your good and his glory. And he says, don't worry. And so even when it's really, really difficult, and even when it's really hard right now, and you're looking at it and you go, I don't know. I don't know how this works for God's glory. On a long enough timeline, it does. And God sees all of it and he says, trust me. I've got you in the midst of all of this. And that leads to the last thing I would say to you. The reason we can trust him in that is he's going to use every single bit of it. Nothing's going to be wasted. He's going to use all of it for his glory. He's going to use all of it in bringing you to the fullness of what you were created to be. And then he's going to unite all of it together in him. And so this is not just this soaring theology that's way out there, but it practically impacts the way we live today. What we believe about the future affects the way we live today. And our future is beautiful and it's wonderful and it's far beyond anything that we can comprehend. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of your gospel. We thank you about what it means for the past and the present and the future. 
We thank you that the assurance of all of it is found in you and what you've done for us. We thank you that it's by your grace that we cling to you in faith and that you're going to fulfill all of it. I pray that you would ignite in our hearts a desire to want to see uh, just huge steps for your glory in our life right now. That you have given us the down payment of the Holy Spirit. That you have invaded this space now. In us, you are bringing us forward to the beauty of what is to come. And so we pray that we would seek to live out of that reality right now. That we would see you move in marvelous ways for your glory and our good. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.